Welcome to the Dark Side of the Full Moon podcast. I'm Jennifer Silliman, and this show is continuing the conversations started in the award-winning first-ever documentary film about maternal mental health. My journey as an advocate began through the power of storytelling. With this podcast, I hope to create a community of women and professionals sharing their own powerful narratives to let others know they're not alone and help is out there. Keep in mind that some of the stories you will hear may be triggering, but it's important they be told. This podcast is not a replacement for professional help from a licensed medical provider. If you or someone you know is suffering due to a maternal mental health condition, please contact your medical provider or call or text message the Postpartum Support International Helpline at 1-800-944-4773. Now let's continue the conversation. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Dark Side of the Full Moon podcast. I'm here today with advocate and friend Christina Delaney, who experienced postpartum psychosis in 2015 after the uh, birth of her second daughter. So she's going to share her story with us today and also share how it led into her advocacy work. Um, she started um, Cherish Mom, which we're going to hear a lot about today too. So hi, Christina. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Jennifer. It's good to be here. Yeah. You know, and I had mentioned to you right before we went on here that you're the first guest that I've had on who experienced postpartum psychosis. So I I really want to dive into your story. And then really, I think a lot of people still are really unsure what the difference is between depression and psychosis. And how do I know that it's one and not the other. I think doctors are still really trying to figure that out too, but especially moms who are kind of sitting there like, Oh, I don't know. I mean, so, um, so go ahead and, uh, and let us know about your experience. Yeah. So my experience really blindsided my, my family and me. Um, I had no idea what postpartum psychosis was. I didn't know much about postpartum depression or anxiety or any of the mood disorders, really, even as a registered nurse. Um, so uh, the week leading up to, I refer to it as my crisis, um, I was very overly compassionate, slightly hyper-religious, um, and nobody really picked up on any of that. Um, and it was very hard to pick up on it unless you were really um, cautious and looking for it. Um, and, and educated about it. And that's why I really believe that education is so important to know the signs to look for. Um, but the Friday that it happened, I woke up. Um, I, to me, was very clear in my head. Um, but I woke up that morning and God spoke to me and said, you will need the prayers of many to share your story. And that still gives me goosebumps today because I didn't know what that meant. Um, but it was still very clear. And I had this burden, um, laying on me just to save people. I didn't really know what that meant, but it was just a burden on my heart and on my mind. And, um, I was doing things very outside of my norm. I quit my job that morning. Um, I went and checked on our pastor, which is very unlike me. I was calling people that I, would never call probably in my right mind. Um, and there was one point my husband walked out of 
the house to call someone. Um, and fortunately, he was home that day um, because he was off. He was supposed to work that weekend. So we had that Friday off. Um, but he walked outside of the townhouse that we were in. And at that moment, I thought Jesus was returning. And I grabbed our kids, who I'm pretty sure were sleeping. Um, but I grabbed them up and I said, please save us. Please save our family. Please save our friends. Um, and my husband walked back in and he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm, I'm praying. And he said, I was white as a ghost and I passed out. And I, it was a pseudo passing out. It wasn't real passing out. It was just my mind making me pass out. And he appropriately called 911. He had no idea what was going on. Um, and for family members that are experiencing this with um, their loved ones, I just can't imagine how scary it must be um, to watch and see it play out. Um, but we lived in a small townhouse at the time. And so everybody and their mother showed up, um, the police department, the fire department, all the supervisors of their those departments, the ambulance and their supervisor. And um, there wasn't much space to park. So then all the neighbors came outside and had to know what was going on. Um, and they came in and um, were checking me out. And I thought I was dying. So I was telling them to pump on my chest and innovate me. Um, and so they got me in the back of the ambulance and um, they took me to the emergency department. Um, and there, there did have to be some convincing. Um, unfortunately, all of this happened um, at my will and I made these decisions, um, even though I was very outside of my mind. Um, my husband was very good at convincing me um, to do what they asked me to do. Um, so I didn't have to be committed or anything. Um, but I spent three nights in the psychiatric ER. Um, I was 45 minutes away from UNC where they didn't have any beds available. I think they only have six, five or six beds and they were all full. Um, and so I had to go to a general inpatient unit, um, which is not, in my opinion, not appropriate for mothers, um, and it was just a very scary experience. Um, there was one nurse practitioner who was able to diagnose what was going on um, and reassure my husband, Wes, that it would get better. And in a year's time, we would be looking back and seeing it as a memory. Um, but I would get better because there was a time, there were times that I didn't know who he was. I was calling him different names. Um, and so again, I, I couldn't imagine what that was like for him. Um, and in the ER holding, they didn't warn him that he couldn't be with me. Um, so here goes his wife locked up in psychiatric holding and where was he supposed to go? Um, so he stayed in his truck overnight in the parking lot because at that point he had no idea what was going on and he wanted to be there in case anything happened. So I stayed there for three nights and then I got transferred to a general inpatient unit 
And the entire time I was there, except for the last night, I had a 24-7 sitter because I was deemed unsafe to myself and unsafe around others. And at this particular unit, when you have a sitter with you, you cannot go outside. You can't eat with the other patients. You can't do anything. So when I got home, I was very weak because I hadn't climbed any stairs. I hadn't gone, I hadn't exercised. I really hadn't left 40 feet walking distance, um, going to and from my room in the activity room. Um, I was treated with antipsychotics, antidepressants, an occasional injection to calm me down. And it was just a very scary time. And all I wanted to do was get home. I don't remember um, a lot of the fine details, um, except for what my family told me and what I have read in my medical notes and my medical history. Um, but, <clears throat> excuse me, but I remember not having a discharge meeting um, when I left. And when I got home, there were so many stipulations that I couldn't be with my children by myself. I couldn't go back to work. I couldn't drive. I couldn't be by myself. So our family was having to take turns coming in and out of town to take, not just take care of the kids, but take care of me getting to all the appointments that I had to go to now um, and make sure the kids were safe um, and I was safe. And they didn't talk about the side effects of the medications because um, that was really why, I know now why all those stipulations were in place because they didn't talk about the side effects with me or my husband. And my husband's a pharmacist, but he's not a psychiatric pharmacist by any means. Um, but we, I don't remember ever having those conversations um, and why. It was just, don't do this. Um, but I went to intensive outpatient therapy, which was three hours of therapy every day, a group therapy every day. And I was still outside of reality. So I thought I was in therapy with older or younger versions of my friends and family which that just was not fun to me. Um, I didn't like it. I didn't participate a lot. Um, and I tried to get out of it a lot. Me and my husband would have dates, day dates that I would convince them to let us go on. And I did everything that everybody wanted me to do to get better because I knew I had to. Um, and about, it was probably exactly one and a half or two weeks into intensive, the intensive program that me and my husband were driving around in a truck, in his truck, and our baby, our youngest, was in the back seat, and she was six months, five and a half, six months old at the time, and I got very angry. I was not okay with all the stipulations, and I just didn't know why. And I got very tired of it and I tried to jump out. Um, and he was very quick to lock the lock button. And one of the things that I didn't want to happen was to have to go back. I didn't want to have to go back to the inpatient unit. And that's exactly where we had to go at that point in time. 
Um, so I got reevaluated and they said I was fine. Um, but all the knives in the house had to be hidden. Um, and the gun that we had in the house had to be removed. So anytime I had to cook, I had to ask for a knife um, or if I needed a knife, I had to ask for it. And there were even times that my husband had to stand over me and watch me take my medications because they didn't think I was taking them, even though I was. And the pills were in dissolvable form just to be sure that they got into my system. Um, so there's just a lot of, I guess, mistrust in me and unbelief in what I could do and what I could and couldn't handle. I guess that could be true in some cases, um, but there's a lot of misconceptions and unbelief with mothers um, around postpartum psychosis and definitely not enough specialists to know how to handle women that experience it. I know the medications that I was put on, I couldn't stand them. Uh, I never, ever, ever expected to have to be on antipsychotics or even the combination of antipsychotics and antidepressants. Um, every time I followed up with a psychiatrist, I'd be asking to change something. Um, she'd tell me, you, you will be on them for at least a year. I never had a mental health history. So it was just a shock to be going through what I was going through. Um, but I knew that I had no choice but to go forward and get better, not just for me, but for my kids and their future, my future, my family's future, and the future of other moms too. Um, like I told you earlier, it didn't take me long to start sharing my story because um, I, I quickly started doing my own research and finding support outside of what anybody else knew. Um, and I came across, I think the first support I came across was postpartum progress and wanting to do more. And I found an, another postpartum psychosis survivor that actually lived near me um, and reached out to her and we talked and um, because it's a very isolating condition that makes you just feel alone and crazy, especially when your providers and, and the healthcare profession doesn't know what to do with it. But again, I, I wanted to educate and support other women going through it and, and help my girl's future. Cause it didn't take me long to find and see that because I went through it, they have a risk for it too. And I say very often, everything I do is for them mainly um, because they're at risk for it because of what I went through. Um, and I want them to have the absolute best um, available to them should they have to experience it too? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think for a lot of us who ex goes through whatever experience it is, whether it's, you know, just anxiety or depression or psychosis and all of those things make such an impact 
um, on us and especially those that survive and end up having daughters and knowing that they are at risk now because I have experienced it. And what does that look like for them? What kind of services are gonna be available for them you know, 20 years from now? Um, yeah, I mean, I, and what's so interesting is being, being kind of in this world of maternal mental health anyway, since like 2011 or 12, I guess, um, things have changed but <laughs> they also haven't changed. Um, and I think that, especially for us who are advocates like you um, and myself, it's just, it can be very frustrating. So many people that I've talked to, um, specifically on this podcast, you know, every once in a while an idea pops up during a conversation. We're like, that would be so easy to implement. Like, why aren't we doing this? Like, it's not like this rocket science. I have to be like a civil engineer person to figure this out. You know, so many moms that have gone through the experience like yourself, share their stories and share what they would have wanted. So, you know, the medical community is getting feedback. There's definitely things to go on, you know, and experiences to go on that could make all of these systems better and, and make them and even create systems. You know, we often said the system's broke uh, when Marine and I were doing the film and people would say, what do you mean it's broke, broken? There is no system. There's no system in place. It's not that it's broken. It just doesn't even exist. Um, so the hope is that more and more and more people who share their story that it actually has that impact where moms don't have to share their story because they're not going through it. <laughs> right? We're not sharing our, a story anymore because, or we're sharing a story of, of hope that I got the, I had the symptoms. I reached out, my doctor knew what to do. I got the treatment I needed and I'm, you know, on my way to healing. You know, those are the stories that we want to hear uh, more and more. So I'm curious before we get into talking about cherished mom, I want to know if, and, and only if you're comfortable talking about it, when was the turning point for you? So when was it that you felt like you were more in touch with reality? Cause you had made that comment that you just were still not even during the group therapy that you still kind of weren't there in your right mind. So talk to me about kind of when that turning point happened. Yeah, absolutely. I, I get asked that question a lot and Sometimes it's hard to answer because I think a little every day would become more clear. Um, so it was just a step-by-step -step journey. Um, and I would just get a little bit back every day. There was no point in time where it, oh, I'm back in reality now. Um, because I, I remember going to a restaurant af right after I got out of the unit and I was paranoid and it, it's just bizarre. Um, it's hard to explain unless you have experienced it, but it's just this bizarre thinking that there people are out to get you and people are watching you um, and it, it's just, that irrational thinking. Um, 
but it never just clicked back. It was just a, a progress every day. Um, so I'd almost compare it to a stroke almost. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's one analogy for sure. I, it's so, and I love how you're, you're, you know, you're like, I remember being at a restaurant and it's so interesting to me how all of us survivors of these different, you know, aspects of, you know, pregnancy and postpartum mood disorders, how we remember specific things about where we were, what was going on. I mean, that's how impactful these experiences are, um, that we can, re, you know, we can recall them in such detail. Um, I always found to be, I mean, that's why there's people write so many, there's books and there's, you know, because the experience is just so, so impactful and not just for the person experiencing it, but, you know, and the entire family and the family unit, family unit, um, you know, experiencing all of that. So, so then how long did the stipulations, I know you, cause you hated them so much. I'm just curious to know when they started letting up on those. I mean, how did, how did the medical community know that you don't need that sort of, you know, spotlight on you that you were getting well enough that you could do things, you know, that otherwise you weren't able to do when you first, you know, got out of the unit. I think it was a conversation because um, I met with when I was in the intensive outpatient program, I met with a psychiatrist either daily or every other day. We had meetings all the time um, and it was a conversation of how comfortable am I feeling? How comfortable is the family feeling? Um, and they would even be in contact with my husband. Um, how was everything going? Um, so I think I remember being able to drive first without my children in the car. Um, and then when I felt comfortable being able to watch the kids, um, probably with supervision first, um, and it became more of how anxious am I? Um, because even when I, you know, was getting back to reality and things were getting back to a new normal because they never really got back to full normal. Um, it was how comfortable, how anxious are you doing this? How anxious are you doing that? Um, and it was more of a conversation of, is this going to be okay? Are you going to feel comfortable doing this? And so I think I was able to drive probably three or four weeks afterwards, again, without the children in the car and then the children, I was able to drive them around. Um, shortly after that, I was able to go back to work part-time first, a couple, I want to say four to six weeks. And then I remember is either in September and this happened in May. And I believe it was in September. I didn't get clearance to go back to work full-time until then. So it was a process and everybody's experience is different. So I think it's important to not compare your experience to another um, because my healing journey is different from another healing journey and just, and just know that. And um, we're not able to share our experiences, um, especially any survivor, but postpartum psychosis carries a different different stigma with it. 
um, not all psychosis survivors want to share. Many, many psychosis survivors don't want to share. And I think that's why, since my story is already out there, I keep sharing because I know others don't want to share. And if I have to keep sharing to, you know, keep bringing awareness to it, I will, um, because I, I don't, I don't mind to, and I want others to know about it. And I want the healthcare professionals to know about it because it needs to stop blindsiding families. Um, they need to be aware of it. They need to be educated on it. It needs to not be stigmatized so much. And we just need to start talking about it and having a conversation and normalize the discussion. And I think the media also plays a big role in that too. Absolutely. Normalizing the discussion is, is, and, and telling those, sharing those stories, especially when they happen through the media or the media gets a, you know, a story about that, how it's so sensationalized and it's, you know, it's not a good place for people to learn about what these things are. And I think that's where a lot of people do think, you know, they know what this is because they've seen or read a story or, you know, whatever it is. And so, yeah, I, and I have to share this with you. I remember, um, so I, in the beginning of my advocacy work, I would, I would go into hospitals and infiltrate childbirth education classes <laughs> and then talk about the things that nobody wanted to talk about. And I specifically remember, and this happened more than once, is when I would start talking about postpartum psychosis. Um, you know, at, at, in, in one of the, the sessions, the, the, the actual teacher was in the back of the room and she's like looking at me like and shaking her head no like no like what are you doing why are you telling these families about this this is so scary and I thought that's exactly why I'm telling them <laughs> because we don't want them to fear that we want them to be educated um, and not only that if you're having this reaction which means that none of your families that you've educated know anything about you know, psychosis or even depression. I mean, any of the mental health spectrum of, of pregnancy and postpartum, they just didn't talk about it because I, I don't think they felt comfortable, but, you know, like you said, you want to keep sharing your story and, you know, and I know you believe this too, stories can, can save people. Um, they're very impactful. Um, and so, like you said, you started sharing your story so soon after your experience and then not even too much longer after that, you create a cherished mom, um, which is amazing by the way. So tell our listeners a little bit about what that is. Absolutely. I do want to go back to, you know, story sharing a little bit and, and talk about advocates because I think some of the most passionate, compassionate powerhouse people are in this space um, and they need to be listened to. They need to be included. And that's become another passion of mine is including the advocates, including the, the people that are experiencing this at the tables of where decisions are made. Um, it's so, so important because if we don't start including their voices, changes won't be made. So I'll just leave that at that. Um, but Cherish Mom came to be, this is our third year anniversary month, um, three years ago this month. 
Um, and I had no intention to set out in the nonprofit space, no intention to be a public speaker, but here I am. Um, but Cherish Mom is really dedicated to education. Um, and it came to me when I was planning a climb actually with PSI three years ago. And I started um, want to want to distribute these care packages. I was like, you know, we should distribute care packages for all the attendees. And I was like, you know, how cool would it be if all moms who were educated around perinatal mental health were given a care package? Because, and it, I kind of remembered the, the baby box, which I don't know if they exist anymore. However, um, and I talked to them, I talked to their founder that same summer and they were completely fine with what we were doing. Um, we were originally going to be the mommy box, um, but we rebranded because of um, copyright issues or trademark issues um, and became cherished mom. Um, but I really wanted to focus on educating moms and families around maternal mental health for the sole purpose of they, there was none of that happening. Um, and I really felt there's a big gap in that. Um, and then we grew into support groups and supporting moms as well. So we are really dedicating an education and supporting moms and families. And we now have support groups. We have our incentive program, which we are going to be announcing changes to that in the week of the 14th, June 14th. So um, stay tuned for that. We're very, very excited. And we have all sorts of educational videos and materials on our website. Um, and it's just grown and I'm very pleased with it. I'm very blessed to be able to do that. I consider myself a professional volunteer. Um, <laughs> Been I there. Love, we all know. That, right? Yeah, I think. <laughs> Many of us are, um, but I left my job as a registered nurse three years ago to do this work and it's very impactful and moms need it. Moms need the education. Moms need the support now more than ever, especially with the pandemic. So, yeah, absolutely. That the isolation of the pandemic alone has, has taken a toll on a lot of people. And I can't even imagine what those moms do. I mean, it was hard enough to experience it when the world was kind of somewhat normal. I can't imagine what that's like when it feels like the world is just anything but uh, normal. So I am going to put links to your website, cherishmom.org in the notes of this podcast. So everyone will be able to check it out. Obviously a lot of this, this nonprofit work is not possible without money. So if you can donate, please do. Um, this is the piece of the puzzle that's really missing and still something that needs to be worked out in the medical community. So us moms and families have, have, um, you know, taking it, taken it, you know, under our wing to make sure that these moms, you know, at least are educated on these things that can happen, um, that a lot of times they have no idea. And it's, it's a, it's a game changer when, when this happens to a family who had no idea, especially those that don't have mental health in their history, 
like you, um, I can only imagine what that was like for your husband, Wes. Um, I mean, it's, it's frightening, but how lucky that we are to have partners that were supportive. My husband was, I remember my husband hiding the knives. Like when you said that, I was like, yep, I remember, you know, I remember all of that. Um, and so the support can make a big difference and all stories are different. So I appreciate you mentioning that too, because they are, everyone's journey is completely different, but it's so important that no, no matter what your journey is, if you're comfortable sharing your story, share, share, share any way that you can, because it does make a huge impact. Christina, thank you so much for talking with me and sharing your story today. We, we greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.